Podcast has its own Discord server where you can chat with Allie, Jen, and other 2G1P listeners about weird internet stuff. You can also share your pictures of your pet chameleon. Whatever. There's no rules. Join our exclusive Discord server at discord.gg slash 2G1P. That's discord.gg slash 2G1P. Don't forget to upload a profile picture so we know that it's you. And now here are your favorite online avatars, Jennifer Jamula and Allison Bulger. Hey guys, I'm Jen. I'm Allie. (laughs) You're ba Allie. (laughs) I was just singing along. Don't act surprised. Welcome to Two Girls One Podcast. Welcome, where our theme song makes you feel like you're surfing on a wave in Hawaii. That's how I feel when I hear that theme song. Does it? Have you surfed on a wave in Hawaii? (laughs) This is all in my imagination. I've never done that. Have you? So, uh, um... Yes, actually, I have. I thought so. Well, you this can tell me. This is where Matt, once again, is like, who is this person? Because I always come in with these bonkers stories where he's like, I don't understand. But actually, I did. And I don't recommend surfing without a surfing lesson. Interesting. I thought you were going to say a surfing yeah. license, which is not a real thing. No. Actually, a lot of my stories seem to start or end with, don't, don't try this if you don't have any. <laughs> like the monkey story where I got attacked by monkeys. You have to be a professional. (laughs) But um, no, so my friends and I, we rented surfboards and then we surfed very close together. We went out into the waves, but it turns out you're not supposed to be very close together because a wave came. My board slammed. Oh, no. uh, You know, like a right angle and hit her in the head and she started bleeding. Well, my lesson is never to go surfing with you. Shout out to Megan Burke. (laughs) She was bleeding from the head and she was just like, I need a beer. So if we could just sit on the beach. She was so fucking cool about it. We just sat on the beach and she put a cold beer to her head. She's a badass bitch. She she had a little bleed in a beer. I like it. A bleed in a beer. No big deal. Bleed in a beer. So here we are at Two Girls, One Podcast. Who the fuck are we? I don't know, but that accent was delightful. I really enjoyed it. So we perform internet text word for word on stage in a show called Blogologues. And from that, we got really interested in all these internet communities. And so then we created a web series called Two Girls, One Show after a really delightful internet classic. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that web series, every episode we find something uh, crazy on the internet. We contact the writer, we do an unscripted interview, and we go on scripted shenanigans. You should check it out. It's on hoohaha.com. From doing that, we came up with Two Girls, One Podcast, which is just the interviews. And here we are. That leads us to today. That's the end of our story. We're out of here. Just kidding. Way, way to sell it. You're like, we, we, made, we made this awesome show, and this podcast is just the boring parts of that show. <laughs> no, this podcast is the best part. It's the interview with the people behind the internet posts. It's, 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 yeah. It's actually the most interesting part, I think. You're welcome, guys. Well, today we are talking about the gig economy. Gigs. I'm excited for today's show. Are you not excited for the other ones? Yeah, the other ones are kind of boring, but I'm I'm really <gasps> into gigabytes. I'm really into gigabytes, megabytes, like the measuring of data, and Mathieu. I'm super psyched. Yeah, that's what we're talking to... about. So you just stay tuned over there in your corner. Stay in your corner, cool. and you're just gonna see what okay. happens. Listen, that's exactly I can see what the confusion. I'm going to throw Matt a bone here. This is a show about the internet. Gigabytes makes sense. We're talking about the gig economy. Throwing a bone is a weird expression. That's not like really helpful. Like if you were like, I'm going to throw him some bacon. I'd be like, that's helpful. What am I going to do with a bone? Come on. Exactly. (laughs) Well, 
uh matt do you know about the gig economy yeah it's when you upload gigabytes of data to the internet and you make money Uh, from that like videos and stuff matt loves his high-tech dad jokes they're so funny because they're dad jokes but they're like savvy yeah i'm not i'm not joking Oh, okay. All right. So today we're looking at the gig economy. So apparently more and more people than ever before are freelancers. Somewhat apparently due to the rise (laughs) of the Internet. You said apparently. And I I was just saying, like, we know a lot of freelancers. I feel like especially because we come from the world of acting. We know all about this shit for a long time. Right. But that yeah, yeah, Um, but that's because creatives are often freelancers. But I do. I still feel like most of my friends have like normal, real jobs with benefits. I guess so. Those benefits. I I hear they're great. I'm thinking of changing my Tinder profile to looking for a man with benefits, but I know that doesn't sound (laughs) the way I am intending. Yeah. Yeah. What what does all this have to do with measuring data sizes? You've got (laughs) to measure the size of the data before you decide if you want the benefits. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Take that with you, Matt. Thank you. That's that's the bone. That's the bone I was looking for. That's the bacon. Speaking of bone. We're going to be talking. You want to hear about my date last week? JK. JK. That's not where I'm going with this. That joke was too obvious, so I had to make it, but it's actually really pathetic because it's so obvious. Anywho, today we're talking to an expert in freelancing, which means we're talking to me. I'm a freelancer. No, we're not talking to me. We're talking to an author. We're also going to talk to you, but we're also we're right. talking to Sarah Kessler, the author of Gigged, The End of the Job and the Future of Work. Uh, she wrote this book. It's out in June, so it's not the out yet. The End of the Job. We're all just going to be surfing on the beach, bleeding and bears, bears and bleeding. What, how do you feel about not working as hard? Like, don't we need to work hard to feel fulfilled Yeah, I think humans? it makes no sense. I think it makes no sense. Is if it, I had all the money in the world, I would still work every day. Because otherwise, too. fuck what I do with myself. Yeah, isn't that the message of like all Chekhov plays? Like they're just bored on an estate somewhere. It's boring. Way to bring it we to need- Chekhov. I both respected and <laughs> hated you for that reference. It was accurate though. <laughs> work, work, work. Masha, Masha, Masha. Hey, Rihanna said it. Yeah, work, work, work. work you gotta work, work. Work, work, work. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm more about the twerk true. than the work, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you you make a good point about benefits. Like we're not getting any benefits in what we're doing, and so how Ugh. are people going to get benefits in this brave new world? Uh, it's very interesting. Matt is so adorably optimistic. In a previous episode, you talked about how you think that work is going to end at some point, and then the revolution will come. The, <laughs> the revolution. revolution. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and that's due to automation. Like, I'm very confident that in our children's lifetime, uh, there will be staggeringly less jobs to do. Even if we are educated and qualified to do them, robots and artificial intelligence will do, you know, something like 85% of all the work we need to build our homes, feed ourselves, and create uh, amusements and but entertainment don't you think for each in other. the Industrial Revolution, they kind of could have argued the same thing, but then we create new kinds of jobs. Yes, but it's accelerating much faster. Uh, at a pace that's never been known before in human history. And the jobs that are being created by the robot and AI revolution will simply be done and taught to more AIs and more robots by the other robots. You know what I mean? Matthew, who is going to colonize Mars if we're not working? Robots, of course. It's way safer for robots to go to Mars. Mars is a hellscape. I don't know, guys. I'm here in San Francisco right now, and people like to pretend that the robot revolution is nigh, but when you actually mess with robots, they're pretty janky right now. Like, uh, honestly, though, I, I think that the robot revolution is far away 
Although I do think it is going to come, but I think it's a lot further away than people think because I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors where people like to pretend that this technology is so advanced, but when you actually mess with the robot, it's like a piece of shit. Go, yeah. go in reverse. Think about what technology was 10 years ago. A, a mere decade, which is the blink of an eye. Oh, you didn't I had have to iPhones, raise my hand to call a taxi. I had to raise my hand. Right. But Disgusting. the taxi is a great example of like, you have this very inefficient structure yeah. of cabs just driving around, stopping at taxi stands, moving along the streets. And now you can literally tap a screen and from across the city, a, a, a cab comes to your literally to your face in three minutes. Cars are the right analogy. It, it seems very obtuse for jobs that you and I do. You know, you guys are creatives. I'm a creative, but I'm also like, I work at a company in an office or whatever. That seems very abstract. And it's like the idea of an AI taking my job away seems weird and silly. Right. I've said it but, before. The artists, we're going to be the last to go, but sure. we will we will assist in our own demise because the artists will teach emotional intelligence to the robots and they will be paid very well by the Googles of the world to do it and then the robots right. will take us last. Yeah, yeah. and I, I definitely agree with you, but but let's take it a step closer to the, to the present because I, I do think that's further away, though I think it's in our children's lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, cars are the right analogy because millions, millions of people drive cars for a living, taxis, trucks, other vehicles that deliver goods and services to all of our homes and workplaces. Autonomous vehicles are street legal today. Yes. And they work really well and they're way safer and more efficient today, literally today. Uber let the first one loose on the road and it hit a pedestrian. That's a really great uh, thing to, that everyone brings up. You know how many people humans kill in cars oh, no, every no, no. day? I agree. I, no, I'm just saying in the long term, but I think autonomous vehicles 100% safer than people driving cars. Right now, I don't think the technology is as advanced as people like to believe. But I agree with you that down the line, it'll be better. Down the line is like five years away, 10 years away. And so it's not going to be snap your fingers, the jobs are gone. It's going to be, oh, unemployment's getting worse. And it's getting worse. And it's getting really worse. And it's it's not getting better. Why isn't it getting better? It's because of this like compound acceleration of technology that we're going to, when our children are like, time to go to work, I'm 18, I'm 20. It's going to be so radically different. That well, but here's not my, and not even, not even that I disagree with you, but I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Think about how many Please. jobs exist today that did not exist five to ten years ago because they're jobs that have been created with this technological revolution. So I think there's a possibility that new jobs that we can't imagine right now are about to be created, such as robot they, handling. They are. They, they are. They are. But when the Industrial Revolution happened, you moved people from farms to factories, and it may not have been a one-to-one, -one, but there were still lots of new factory jobs to have. When you think about the new jobs that didn't exist, they're all tech companies. And it's like, wow, tech companies are employing lots of people. No, they're not. The Googles and Facebooks of the world uh, require... 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 people, maybe, to Everybody, run the entire operation Matthew, of the you richest company. Check Matthew, guys. Please do. Facebook is one of the richest companies on the planet Earth ever in the history of, of companies. A handful of people work at them. Compare that to Ford or uh, uh, Standard Oil, these industrial, huge corporations that used to rule the world. They employed 
50,000, 100,000 people across the globe. Facebook employs 10,000 if you're lucky. So your 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 premise is correct. We are creating new jobs that have December never been created. And 25,000 people were employed by Facebook. I just Googled it. <laughs> but 25,000 is, is, an, is an insignificant mm, number compared to Standard Oil, compared to Ford. And this brings us back. This brings us right back to today's guest. Many of those, many of those, perhaps even the vast majority, are contractors. They are not full-time employees. Right. No, it does bring us right back to that. Well, I was thinking not that so many of them are contractors, but I'm thinking, looking at the tech industry overall, you're saying like there aren't as many jobs being created. Now, granted, I'm just hypothesizing here, but um, overall in the tech industry, there are perhaps tons and tons of jobs being created, but a lot more of them are freelance gig to gig, which, yes, brings us right back to today's guest. Yep. And and one more point, look at it as a relationship to the dollars that a company generates. 25,000 people, whether they're contractors or full-timers or not, that seems like a lot of people, but in comparison to the amount of money that Facebook generates as opposed to a car manufacturer or a widget producer. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get it, we get it, we get it. The other industries of the past, you're saying, employed more people. That's a huge change to our society. And it's only going to get worse, not better, because technology is only moving in one direction. I agree. So what's going to happen? With you on a lot of that. But I still think there is a possibility that loads of new jobs that we can't imagine are going to be created. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Right. Like it's we are going to have new jobs created, but a lot of jobs are also going to go away. And it's just hard to see where it's going to shake out. There I, might be a lot more fucking artists out there. God damn it. Well, I was going to say, what are people going to do? <laughs> How are people going to make money? Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't want to be artists. So. I also think that like society is built on money. This is not necessarily a good thing, but I don't think people are going to give up their status which is determined by money and therefore they will like almost find ways to work and jobs to create so that they can have this hierarchy. But a job only exists if someone is willing to pay you to do it. So like there are lots of people who make stuff for free on the internet, like millions of them do their passion projects on the internet. I'm not paying to view or own those things because they're just free on the internet or they're not a business model. So like fan art, just be sure. I've yeah. got a lot of Mpreg so art because... in my home. I want you guys to know you that. You do. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah, selling you know, some you know. posters of Mpreg. It's men who appear pregnant. If you would like a poster of a man appearing pregnant. Um, 2G1podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really need you to take it. I'll, I'll, I'll sell them for $5 a pop plus shipping, okay? If you're, yeah, if you're in New York, you can just come get them from me when I'm there. Thank cool. you. Well, I hate to say this because Matt's been talking entirely too much, but... Matt, I think it's time for trivia. <laughs> it is time for trivia, guys. God. Are you ready? I didn't want to have to give the trivia lead in. What's go- What's happening? <laughs> I don't know, but let's hear trivia it. Let's time. hear it. Speaking of the freelance economy, which is alive and well today in 2018, Uber is a symptom of that, obviously. Uh, and today's trivia is about an Uber driver in Ohio. They have Uber oh. in Ohio? They do. There's yeah. Uber everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Even in Ohio. And this Uber driver is a super famous guy in the world of technology. If you got into his Uber and you met him and you started a conversation with him, you'd be like, oh my God, I know you. I know you, I know this guy. 
but he's not super rich. He's not wealthy, I assume, because he is driving an Uber for a living in Ohio. Who is this technological luminary and why is he driving an Uber so in Ohio? So it's a tech guy that like made some headlines and fell to the bottom Perhaps. financially. There was something and now he's broke. Perhaps. I'm gonna go with Tom for MySpace to get started. Is he a, is he a real person? <laughs> is that a real person, Tom? I know he's, there's a picture of him. He's real in his space. Oh, nice. <laughs> Maybe not in my space. That wasn't good. It's a good it guess because he, be uh, yeah, he kind of disappeared from the public view and maybe he's just chilling in Ohio. Who, who knows? Yeah. What and happened to that Napster he, guy? Who's that? Oh. Wasn't he played by Justin Timberlake in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there a Napster? And Napster was big and then that movie yes, yes, and then yes. it fell uh, apart. I gotcha. His his name is escaping me, but I, I believe he inve- he ended up investing in Facebook. So I, I, I'm assuming he's done well for himself. Well, either you're I doing a massive well. fake out, and that's the right answer, or it's like really not the right Could answer because be. you just said that you're assuming he's doing well for himself. Based on my source here, I, I am assuming that this gentleman uh, drives the Uber for a living and that he is not independently wealthy. That's a huge assumption. He okay. might be fine and he just does Who it for fun. Is Don't the creator sure. of Ask Jeeves? Is it Jeeves? Is Jeeves driving an Uber? Okay. Who who okay. is Jeeves? That it's like a tr- um yeah. So you know what I'm trying to say. It's like Alex Trebek. You yeah. get in the car and he's like, "My name's Jeeves," and you're like, oh, "It's the guy." Jeeves is it's, it's a cartoon. It's a clip art. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say Craig from Craigslist. Also, that's just another one I'm throwing uh, in the bucket. Are we allowed okay. to have more than one? Okay. Um, but he might be rich. Yeah, he's probably very yeah, rich. Craig Newmark. I don't know. Uh, so, Jen, let's stick with one answer. You 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 may, you you're going to stick with Tom. You're going to stick with Tom. <laughs> I'm on it, Tom. Jamil is going for Tom. And Allie, do you have a firm guess? Maybe it's Larry Page. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> would, you, would you know Larry Page if you got into a car with him? Like, would you know it was him? If he was, if he was like, just like, hey, I'm Larry. Larry Page, then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely how he introduces himself. I'm Larry Page, CEO, the founder of Google. If he, if he said that, then you'd know. Cool. I think so, we... Larry Page, that's your answer. I mean, final answer. Sure. Sticking with it? Sure. Final Jeopardy. That's okay. my cool. answer. We will find out after the break. Discord. Guys, we chat with you over email. We chat with On you over Twitter, but things just got real intimate. We just took things to the next level. This is like when you're dating and then you meet the parents. But we're not your parents, FYI. No, we're not. Join us on Discord. So, okay, what is, I'm going to drop this accent or whatever I'm doing. What Damn is Disc- it. What okay, is, fine, sure. Let's just get real. What, Discord okay. is a server, a chat It's a chat. It's like a chat room, guys. It's, it's like, like a, a chat, chat room. room. And we're there, and the 2G1P fans are there, and we want you to come yeah. join us. We're just but chatting, yeah. Something that's cool is if you Google it, you will never find it. You can only get this link if you listen to the show. Like right now, we're about to give it to you, you so get ready to write it down. join us. Yes, get ready to use those hands to write letters. Here we go. Not if you're driving. Don't write this down if you're driving. A Dis- lot of people listen on commutes. Alec, can you let me say the link now? No, I want you to try again so I can interrupt you again. Discord. <laughs> no, it's <one's> gonna- <laughs> Discord.gg slash 2G1P. 
we're there. I'm actually, I have it open right now. If you want to chat with me, well, I guess when you hear this, I, won't, I may not be there. Wait, what? I have Discord open right now, oh, guys. Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was in Discord. It is hyper distracting, but like in a good way. So if you're a gamer, you might have already gone there, uh, but we're not gamers, obviously. We're just there to get real intimate I mean, I with like you. to play games, but like I'm not a gamer. You like to play mind games. But I like to play games with y'all. Yep, that was a joke <laughs> I was going to make, and now I can't make it because you already made it. I interrupted it. Okay, you. Great. <laughs> great, great. So join us there, 2G1P fans, at Discord dot gg slash 2G1P. You got it, girl. And guess what? It's <sighs> free. Just like the best things on earth. It's free. Just like my body. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not what I wanted to say. I, but you back. should join us at Discord. <laughs> join us, guys. We'll see you in the chat. And now a real advertisement entitled to watch a live birth on mushrooms from the number one website for prenatal care craigslist.org my friends and i were trying to figure out the craziest thing we could do on magic mushrooms watching a live childbirth oh, would be by far the most incredible mind-blowing experience that we could think of Oh, we are looking for a woman with child. Who would permit five respectful 27-year-old men to watch her give live birth while on <laughs> magic mushrooms. Whoa. <laughs> Compensation is negotiable. But for sure, at, at least, uh, uh, 100 per person. Yeah. And the knowledge of knowing that you just blew some people's minds having a baby come out of you. No, this offer may not be for everyone. If you know someone who may be interested, please share this offer so that it might fulfill our dream of watching a live birth on mushrooms. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. And we're back. Would you watch a birth on mushrooms? Ellie? I'm not going to lie. Would I want to you... join that gang. I think yeah. that like, if you're going to be on psychedelic drugs, I I can kind of get behind this. Like, I can see why that'd be a crazy fucking thing. It would traumatize me even more, probably, out of childbirth. Or maybe it would, like, totally change my mind on it. And I'd be like, childbirth yeah, is know. beautiful and amazing. It would be life-changing. Yeah, that's the only way I would watch a live birth from somebody I don't know. Even from somebody I know, I would want to be oh, on okay. mushrooms. Yeah. But yeah, as I a reminder, a level four is still when your Ugh. vagina tears to your asshole. Okay. All right. PSA. <laughs> PSA. That is a PSA. People need to cool. no, they need to know the truth. Like also, yeah. I'm sorry. If your wife gave birth, please go respect her vagina. Okay? Cause she might have had a level four. She might have been wearing diapers for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, let's move on. Cool. <laughs> Spe speaking of knowing the truth, you guys want to know the trivia answer? Ooh. Yes. Yeah it is. Give it to us. The question was, there is a very important, I, some would say influential gentleman from the technology world who is now driving an Uber in Ohio. And you would totally know him if you got in the car, but he's not like a super rich tech bro like you, like you think. I'm uh, wondering if this and... is someone where I'm going to be like, Matt, nobody knows who that is. <laughs> <laughs> this is us being insular in the tech and media world. Okay. That would be a good... Um, a good reveal, but it's not. Okay. Okay. You know the guy. We know him. Personally? No, but you might feel like you do. Okay. Jen, you said you stuck with Tom from MySpace. <laughs> yes. It's a good guess. Thanks. Um, Thanks, man. And Jen, you landed on. You mean Allie? Don't. Yes. Don't even confuse. <laughs> Our listeners are apparently very confused. Who's who? So just to who's recap, who? high pitch voice, Allie. 
lower big pitch. hair, not small, medium size. Yeah, lower voice, tall, but brown hair, Jen. Okay, all right, Allie. And, and, and knowing you guys personally, it's so, it's impossible to not know your impossible. voices, obviously. But when people don't know you, they get confused, and I find that so fascinating. Yeah, just it's, to clarify, just several fans have thought that I match Jen's body, and that Jen's voice matches my body. And by Which the way, we do have we have several actually. we have several fans. We have several fans. We have at least seven. Yeah. <laughs> All seven of them were like, whose voice is that? I don't yeah. know why we are being self-deprecating. We actually have a really nice fan base now, and the amusing thing is how many of them are confusing our voices and our bodies. This is sort of like that uh, Nicolas Cage movie Face Off. <laughs> it's a lot yes. like that. It's a, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. All right. So Ali said um, Larry Page. I mean, it was not a real guess, but I'm going to stick with it. I also, oh, I no, like no, it. no. Also, I wanted to throw in there the AOL running man. Oh, oh. from AIM? Like the little, uh, the little cartoon yeah. guy? Yeah, he ran right into the Uber. Now he's driving. A cartoon logo is is your answer. Uh, it, yes. Is a person driving a car in, um, yes. in Ohio. A girl huh? can dream. The correct answer is closer to that answer, Ali's answer, than you know. You've got mail. That guy. Oh. That guy. Oh. So That's when he hilarious. talks, you're like, whoa, what's happening? Wow. Exactly. His name is Elwood Edwards. Uh, and back in the 90s, his wife worked for AOL. And as a favor uh, and for 200 bucks, <gasps> no. he popped into their office and recorded the voiceover for You've Got Mail and other you know, commands or prompts from the old AOL days. And he was paid, you know, but he didn't get royalties or anything because it was just a, a one-off gig. Oh, my God. And became one of the most famous voices in all of technology. And he's just he's just a regular guy and seems to be doing very well in Ohio driving Uber. A regular guy with an amazing voice. What? That's a really cool <laughs> voice. Fuck. And so he must really sound like that when he talks. Like, it, it's for people to be able to recognize it is pretty incredible. Yeah, there's a couple of videos online where people hop in the cab and they're like, Whoa. Oh, shit, I'm exactly. definitely going to check exactly. that out. Exactly. He, he like, loves doing uh, it. It's described. like his thing. I mean, you know, probably when he's profiled by media, it's probably a, a shtick and then he just lives his life, I assume. But, uh, or every single fucking person who gets an Uber, it. he's like, do you have mail? You've got mail? You've got <laughs> Uber. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what? Oh, Sadly, so cool. this means that you shouldn't do favors for anyone. You should always make sure you're negotiating royalties. That's the lesson. I recently met the girl who was the original voice of Google Voice. What? But then they replaced her. Shit. That was a bad really? story. But like, yeah, but she did. But it was like a similar thing. But well, I mean, you know, you guys are you guys have this perspective as actors and uh, I get it. But like it, it's a gig. So you when you do a gig, you don't necessarily know the value and neither does the person yeah. who who does it. So yeah. it's like to, for this guy to be paid royalties on every time, like a million well, maybe users not royalties, signed into AOL. But like, like always thinking in terms of what's the worst case scenario and what's the best case scenario. And then because the thing about royalties is if it doesn't go anywhere, they don't owe you any money. You know what I mean? So some sort of thing for like, if it blows up, then what happens? Yeah. If you make tons of money, then do I make any? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you $200 to say three words into a microphone. (laughs) You in? And like anyone would say yes to that. Yeah. Right? I think. Well, you guys know those tasty videos online where they're making a... Little recipes, you know what I mean? A BuzzFeed? From, from overhead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I Have you ever heard at the end, they go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Do they? I, I don't really know. That, that was me, guys. That was me. 
They paid me fifty cents. Lies, lies, lies. No, but I think it's like it, it bears asking, like, where is this being used, and what's the potential? Definitely. Sort of thing. Yes. Always. I, I, I find it so funny, and, and when I work with you guys too, it, it often comes up of like, is this going on TV? And I don't make anything for TV, but like uh, TV What's for some reason is like, oh, the pay scale. What's a television? <laughs> the pay scale is somehow bigger and better when it's on TV. But this whole Internet thing, like, who cares? Like it, it, that always is well, weird because uh, the Internet is is bigger and is going to be bigger and the reach is bigger. But right now, TV still has those ad dollars like TV budgets are still bigger yeah. right now. Yes, totally. Totally. So. Anywho, oh, is it time to interview Anywho, our guest it? about poverty and gigs and the freelance economy? <laughs> I don't know why I'm like Do so I. down on this topic. It's like I love this topic, but it's like too close to home. You I know, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Looking well, we're for talking a man to- with benefits, email me. <laughs> to g1podcast at gmail.com. Can I introduce the guest? Yeah, do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. We are excited to have on the line with us right now Sarah Kessler, who is an editor at Quartz and the author of Gigged, The End of the Job and the Future of Work. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. So, Sarah, is it really the, the end of the job? And what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> I feel like most people are still, like, working at a desk, with for a real job with benefits no it's the end the end is nigh the, the end is nigh um i think you know maybe maybe some people will still have jobs but the trend is away from traditional jobs and actually um by one estimate since 2005 almost all of the new jobs in the u.s have been something other than a traditional job oh wow. wait since 2005 all mm-hmm. of the jobs almost all and so that includes things like freelancing, temp work, contract work, things that aren't nine to five direct employment. But since 2005, okay, so I, we're assuming that this has a lot to do with the rise of technology and the internet, which is why we have you here. Um, Jen, I had to do my old timey voice at least once. I know, I loved uh, it. I appreciated it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, but you know, 2005, I think that was the year like YouTube was created, right? I mean, that's a, that's yes. a huge number of jobs and mostly traditional uh, nine to five benefits, etc. Yeah, I would say that this is definitely not a trend that technology created, but it has uh, amplified new ways that you can get people to work without hiring them directly. Mm-hmm. So why since 2005 are all the new jobs giggity gigs. I think a lot of it has to do with companies wanting less liability and regulations. You know, if you push kind of your job into somebody else's territory, then you don't have to worry about things like benefits. Uh, Another thing with technology, it's easier than ever to hire a freelancer. One, you can find a freelancer through the internet. Uh, Two, there might be ways uh, as, for instance, Uber has demonstrated to chop up a job and find people to do it that weren't possible before things like mobile phones. So backing it up a little bit, Sarah, what was your impetus to research and write this particular book? So I started reporting on the gig economy in 2010. And at the time, I was I was a startup reporter, so I would hear all these pitches from entrepreneurs who had the next new thing. And I noticed a trend of people pitching me an app that would solve unemployment. And the pitch... You know, it had different versions and there were themes like, 
you know, for walking dogs or doing odd jobs or whatever the theme may be. But the basic gist was in the future, you'll be able to go to this app and you'll be able to find jobs whenever you want them. So that means that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want for work. And it fits in between caring for children and your passion projects and you can start a band. Um, <laughs> that was that was that was part of the pitch. You could also have a band. <laughs> Why not start a band? You can finally have time. And so that sounded really great to me. Uh, I called it online odd jobs. That was my you know instead of gig economy. And so I bought it and went along. And then a couple years later, I did an article for a magazine, uh, Fast Company, where I actually tried it. And at the t- you know this narrative that this was going to save the world was still prevalent. I took a month off and did nothing but this. And my goal was to make the minimum wage. And so I signed up for all these platforms. Uh, and short, long story short, which ones? Uh, which one did you sign up for? Oh my gosh. The ones that were available then are different than now, but there were things where you could be a virtual assistant. There is uh, mechanical Turk, which is Amazon's platform where you sign up to do these small tasks. Uh, there were dog walking platforms and Airbnb and kitchen surfing. There was an app where you could sign up to be a personal chef. Uh, TaskRabbit, which is one uh, that at the time you would, you would, uh, people had these random jobs like sort my closet out or set up my IKEA furniture. Set up my IKEA furniture. I think I was in, I was in a flash mob, a dance flash mob proposal. Um, what a life! And oh, you, you would are? write, the, yeah. I wait, was wait, hired was as a professional dancer to to be part of somebody's girl. Girl. Was this one of the ones wait, that went? Wait, did, did you find that on I, TaskRabbit? I did, yeah. And they hired me. I love that some dude was like, "I need some dancers. Mm. I'm gonna go." Oh no, to he had hired like he had hired a professional choreographer who was recruiting. Did you become a viral video? I did not. As far as I know, there's no video of this anywhere except for I have one that I will not be sharing. <laughs> well, you will. Will you share it with us? We won't put just, it on the internet. Um. Well, let's talk afterwards. <laughs> the quick moral of this story is that the the professional choreographer who like puts the show together, that job is safe. But the actual dancers who have to put it on, yeah, we just outsource that shit. Well, I am not confident that the professional choreographer was in employed in any way either. He might have been found sure. through TaskRabbit. So, <laughs> did you end up making the minimum wage, sir? Uh, no, I no. So you did not make the minimum wage. It was an experiment for an article, right? So I, so I wrote that, and then I started thinking about this wider trend and how it was bigger than these Silicon Valley apps, even though the Silicon Valley apps, a lot of the issues that they brought kind of to our foref- to the forefront that people talk about after they discovered that not everything was wonderful, apply also to this wider trend. And so I wanted to look at how how this affected different people differently and how it looked in their day-to-day lives because really what you ended up with was this narrative of either this is the future this is the gig economy and we're all working flexibly and it's amazing which is true for some people and then on the other end you ended up with a lot of labor unions and people like that talking about how this was going to be exploitative and the worst thing ever and of course, the truth is somewhere in between there, and a lot depends on who you are, of whether this trend is a good thing or bad thing for you. So I know in this book, you interview a lot of different people from different backgrounds. Can you talk a little bit about how you chose who to interview? Sure. So I wanted to find people who were both in different parts of this wider trend and who are also coming to it with different skills and backgrounds. So there are people who are working 
in a trend called crowd work, which is what it's called if you're doing smaller tasks and that aren't necessarily highly highly skilled themselves. Though I do crowd think it takes a lot of sounds like it should only be for flash mobs. <laughs> <laughs> or comedy, right? I guess there's something in comedy called yeah, crowd work. Sure. What? Okay. But crowd work is Mechanical Turk, is that right? Yeah, it's things like Mechanical Turk, where there's a whole crowd that's kind of eligible to do the work or doing small pieces of it to complete a whole project that would be, it would take a long time for one person to do. Um, then there were, this kind of like the Uber trend. I followed an Uber driver who ended up trying to start a union. How'd that go? So the union did not go well. Yeah. And kind of brought to light a lot of the ways that it's challenging to organize workers in an environment like this and for workers to have any voice when they're not direct employees, especially as we've set up kind of our legal systems for organizing require that you be an employee. And then also there are bigger problems like you don't necessarily know who your coworkers are. So how are you going to organize any collective action? You don't necessarily all live in the same place. Uh, so you don't necessarily all agree on what a decent wage looks like. So there's a lot of challenges in kind of organizing people who are working this way. My feeling has always been, and I say this as a member of the gig economy, that actually making it work in the gig economy is, um, it's something that it, it comes with privilege, right? Like I don't think that you can make the minimum wage just doing kind of odd jobs, but I think you make a minimum wage if you are like a specialized graphic designer, then you kill it as a freelancer. So am, is, is, am I making sense, guys? You know what I mean? I feel like it's a, it's a place of privilege to be able to pursue a freelance life because otherwise like you do need that stability. I don't know. I, I'm interested in the, your experiment in the sense that you went to see if you could do a minimum wage but it was just gigging. Whereas actually, I'm not sure what your life is like, but journalists often are freelancers and are participating in the gig economy, but they're making a great wage because they're, maybe, because <laughs> they're using their specialized journalism skill and they went to grad school, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I think there's a big difference between um, skilled workers who are pursuing a freelance life versus this fallacy that like anyone can just work whenever they want. Exactly. And and that's definitely a point I tried to make in the book. Um, you know, I followed one man who's a programmer, and he was just sick of his full-time job and quit, and he made, you know, $15,000 a month, and he was going to be just fine because he could buy his own safety net. He could buy health insurance. He could save right. enough so that if he got called to jury duty and missed a week of work, he was going to be able to buy groceries. Um, and I think what happens is that people take that narrative of the skilled creative freelancer and they try to apply it to everybody, uh, which is a problem because the same kind of safety net policies and the same regulations impact both of those groups. So if you just take one or the other of their narratives, um, it's, it's not really a full picture. So for instance, I followed um, somebody who works at a call center. And I don't know if you know this, but when you call customer service for like Sears, a lot of times the person who answers the phone is like... Is not in the U.S. Well, even if they're in the U.S., so this person was in Arkansas. He was an, a contractor to this company that was a contractor to this large call center company that the company that you called initially had hired. So you're, you're talking about a nesting doll of contractors. Mm -hmm. And so that person, when he had to take off you know, weeks to complete this mandatory training to be able to take your customer service call, 
and usually in, in many cases they actually have to pay to do the training he didn't have to pay but he didn't get paid when he had to take weeks off he would have trouble paying his bills so for him not knowing how much he was going to make next week which is a common situation for somebody who's working on a gig by gig or independent basis or even for a lot of employees today uh, which we can get into but uh, with kind of erratic scheduling that that's a much bigger problem than for a professional creative who has enough savings where they can kind of smooth it out if next week they make a hundred dollars less than they did in the week before so are you saying that there's a larger trend away from uh, I mean, for, for instance, like, I, I, I don't know, I'm playing devil's advocate in this whole podcast today, but I just, <laughs> I just feel like, um, so I have a friend who has a startup that helps people learn skills to, for instance, work at Walmart or Staples. Like, those are two of her clients. So the mm-hmm. idea is that the world is changing and a lot of industries are becoming obsolete and also just in general, employment is a tough thing. Unemployment is always an issue. And so it trains people for jobs like that. So, you know, there's still so many traditional jobs out there. So then does the issue become really that people, they need to be looking for more stable work and or these call centers, if they're employing people a certain number of hours with regularity, they need to be providing benefits. Like, it almost seems more like a educational and legal issue to me. And you're right that there's a huge um, de- debate kind of on the classification issue on people because there's so many fewer regulations and so many fewer responsibilities. If you don't hire somebody directly as an employee, there's just a ton of ambiguity about companies trying to push people who should be classified as employees, who they should be paying benefits for, into a category like an independent contractor where they don't necessarily have to pay as much as 30% more to employ that person. I'd also say to your second point about employment, is employment is starting to look a little bit more like the gig economy, especially in the retail sector, where before it wasn't necessarily possible to analyze data about when heavy traffic hours work and in real time make schedules for people that might be, you know, three hours Monday morning and then take four hours of a break and then come back because those are our busy times. But that's becoming more precarious as well. How much money you'll make at a traditional job or what your schedule will be. That's still a traditional job, though, with benefits, right? Yes. It's more of an insecurity or um, instability issue. That technology is causing. That technology is enabling, yeah. Sarah, can you talk a little bit more about the trajectory of some of the people who you interviewed? Like, I know, for instance, um, I think one of the people you interviewed who was on MTurk became an activist. And could maybe just tell us a little bit about how that happened. So Mechanical Turk is a platform owned by Amazon, and people post tasks on it and anybody in this crowd of people who's been approved to work on it can pick them up and do them and they're typically uh, large batches of tasks that can be repetitive so for instance transcribe this snippet of audio or label this picture Uh, there are more complicated tasks like take this academic survey or write a write a description for this product as well so I, I followed this amazing woman named Christy Millen, and she uh, became a mechanical Turk worker, first of all, just as a supplemental income, until her husband lost his job and she realized she needed to find a source of actual income while he looked for another one. Um, and so she started doing it full time, and it's kind of a double-edged sword because she made it work. She was able to make $40,000 a year, 
but also the way that she worked was incredibly cumbersome. And so she ended up getting connected. She ran a forum where mechanical Turk workers exchange kind of tips about how to find the best work or warn each other of bad employers. I'm sorry to interrupt, but just for our listeners, can you explain maybe some of the tasks she was doing on there? Sure. So Mechanical Turk, if you want to understand, I guess, first of all, why it exists, it's some sometimes people are making up kind of what technology uh, can't do with human by using their human intelligence. Either they're making data sets that AI systems can learn on. So if you're going to teach a computer to recognize a cat, you have to give it, you know, all these examples of this is what a cat is, n- rather than describe, you know, oh, a cat has two ears and a tail. You just say, here's <laughs> thousands and thousands of pictures of cats. So for one common uh, task on Mechanical Turk might be, you know, looking through all these slideshows and labeling the ones that are cats. And that's a little simple, but she in the beginning was also doing a question and answer service that Amazon had set up. I don't know if you remember this, but before smartphones and you couldn't just look up anything, you might text a number, any question. There were all these services and then they would send you an answer. I do remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Amazon didn't have some like magic AI that was providing you the answer or I guess a search engine, they would have a person look it up and then send it to you. And it would go through kind of the Mechanical Turk platform. Wow. I did not know that was a person. Guys, 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 I have something to tell you about. Tell us. What? I don't know if I shouldn't be sharing this story, but I'm going to. But there are a bunch of AI assistants. There's a couple different companies that do this. I'm not going to name names. Do you guys know about this? So if there's an AI assistant and you can um, CC this AI on an email and the AI takes care of scheduling and all kinds of stuff. It's a it's you can get a virtual artificial intelligence assistant nowadays. And I've tried it and it works pretty well. I met someone who works there and there are hundreds of humans checking every email before it's sent. So it's a I'm big not old surprised. Ruse. And I asked this one employee, like, what is the peak? Like, how many emails? I mean, it was like hundreds of emails per minute, and they're fact-checking them all. So the idea that the robots are that advanced is actually a big old lie, and there are humans fact-checking it. And anyway, so it made me think of that because... When you used to text that service, the fact that there were humans and we all thought it was this amazing technological advancement, we're still kind of there. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I think that uh, my hunch is that it it, it confirms Sarah's point, which is that those humans are only there temporarily to train the machines. And once the machines know what the emails are, then they're out. Thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, I think just jump right in, Sarah, what you were talking about. I think you were telling us the part of the story where she had then joined a forum of other people completing these tasks. So, yes, she's she's a moderator of um, this forum called Turker Nation. And through that, got connected with kind of the academic community, um, which had been discussing this without ever talking to anyone who worked this way, uh, was invited to speak at a few events and kind of realized she was good at this. Um, and then eventually got connected with some academic researchers who they together uh, conceived this idea to create a platform where people who worked on Mechanical Turk could pitch ideas for how to collectively work towards goals that they had for talking with Amazon or getting Amazon to change things. And so she became part of that project and actually a uh, her, she, her name is on their paper that they developed at the end. Oh, wow. What sort of success did they see with that with Amazon? So the first project that they did was a letter writing campaign. They wrote Dear Jeff Bezos and 
uh, wrote in with kind of how they thought that the platform could work better for them or how Amazon might more directly acknowledge their humanity with the design of the platform. And that ended up getting a lot of press. And I think that uh, this woman that I followed, Christy, thought that that was a good achievement, that people were portraying mechanical Turk workers in the press as workers and people who were doing this to make money. Amazon didn't really change a lot in response to that. Um, surprise, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they, they also developed a code of ethics for academic researchers who actually, it's really interesting if you look at a lot of academic studies, it's amazing how many of them, instead of recruiting graduate students or other ways that they would usually find the samples for their studies, they post surveys on Mechanical Turk. And so what you're really seeing is not like the population, but, you know, Mechanical Turk workers. <laughs> people who work on Mechanical Turk. And sometimes they weren't being as scrupulous with their ethics on Mechanical Turk as they would in person. So uh, Christy talked about one study, for instance, where you would go, you would, you would think you were labeling photos just like any old day. Oh, a puppy, a rainbow. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, oh, decapitation. No! Or just, <laughs> and the point of the study was to figure out how long people would go through unpleasant photos before they quit their job. Um, wow. Which isn't awesome. Yeah. So... This group of mechanical Turk workers developed this code of ethics that um, they were hoping would inform ethics boards at universities about how mechanical Turk worked. So that was another project where it, it went to completion. But then it kind of fizzled out, and that happened for a few reasons, uh, one of which we already talked about, which is it's really hard to organize people who are all over and all have different ideas about what they want online especially a lot of them are afraid of retribution from Amazon. There's no law saying Amazon can't say, you know, okay, we're just kicking you off the platform in the way that if you were in a union, they wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, another, another problem is just it takes a lot of work, and it wasn't clear kind of who would carry out that work, which is interesting because the paper that came out of it actually uh, ended up examining the reasons that these things don't work, and that was kind of one of them. And then the third reason is that they had devised this sign-up method because they didn't want just anybody to be able to input into these projects, uh, where they put a task on Mechanical Turk, and it said, you know, please sign up for our project. Um, we're going to either pay you to take a vacation or we'll through this task that you can only sign up for if you've done so many tasks on Mechanical Turk will give you a code that you can use to sign up for this website. So it was their way of um, making sure that people who are actually Mechanical Turk workers would be the people who were participating in this action. Uh, then they got an email that said we can't have from Amazon saying like we can't have this task anymore. It violates our terms of service. So um, Amazon kind of kicked that project off the platform and they lost their way of signing up. Is she still working for Mechanical Turk? She is not. Uh, she actually went back to school after her husband got a job, uh, got a master's degree, and is now starting law school. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite law a story. School. Yeah. That seems like a bad idea. <laughs> but I hear you get benefits, so there's that. <laughs> 
Mm. I have a question. Did you study this across gender lines? Because I know there's a big thing where it's like women and flexibility and childcare, and so they can do this gig, participate in this gig economy. Yeah, so some of the people who I profiled were women, um, and I do think that that's a really real thing, is that the majority of housework is still done by women, if you look at kind of time use surveys, and that if you, the traditional job was designed for a time when an ideal family had one person who was working full-time at work and one person who was working full-time at home, And so if you have two full-time workers out of the home, that means you have three full-time jobs and only two people, or two full-time jobs and only one person. Wait, what? That's a real problem. Sorry, (laughs) was that confusing? No, it's it's not confusing to me, uh, because I understand what you're saying. (laughs) Let me explain this to my childless friends. The third third full-time job is childcare. I see, I see, I see. He okay. just dad-splained. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's some dad-splaining. This is actually, a lot of this is um, the work. There's a book called The Second Shift that kind of profiles this. And um, so what happens to that third job? It usually falls on the woman to do two full-time jobs at once, and that's not fair. So I do think that there's a very real need for flexibility, and that's true. Like, nothing about kind of the downsides of the gig economy make that not true. Um, it's just that if we're going to shift work to make sense in that way, we should also shift kind of some of the social support and structures to think about the fact that people are working this way mm-hmm. um, and create some sort of security or safety net. Well, so that brings brings us to, actually, what are your conclusions and recommendations based on your research in order for the world to keep up with these trends? Okay, so I think that it could be a great thing, really, how everybody talks about, um, but we can't, you know, just jump there without making changes in the way that we've structured kind of the way that health insurance and retirement benefits and unemployment insurance and all the things that took us a long time to build when we created kind of the traditional job, which was pulling people from independent farms into factories and cities, you know, that took us decades to build up this infrastructure to make sure people weren't being abused. And we need to do the same thing now that the job is changing or people will kind of have more insecurity Mm -hmm. and it will not be good. Or it will only be great for programmers right. and it will not be good for people who don't have those skills. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're going to get me some decent health insurance. This is what's happening? I'm, sure. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just telling the story, but I followed a lot of people who I hope will. There's an idea called portable benefits, uh, which is just the idea that your benefits shouldn't be attached to your employer, which is kind of an American idea and an accident of history anyway, but that you should have a way for multiple employers to contribute to your security net or for the government to have create a security net that doesn't kind of capture you in this job. Yeah, which I guess we were working towards with Obamacare. Yeah, mm-hmm. RIP. Yeah, just if the government just has the safety net, then we eliminate the employer from the equation and everyone's covered. Right, that's, right, that's which is the way that it works other places. In other places, yeah. Um, yeah. Did you arrive at any discussions about basic income uh, in your study, or is that beyond the scope of your book? I did talk about it. It wasn't the topic of my book, so I didn't want to present myself as an expert on basic income. But one thing that was interesting is when I was talking to somebody who had kind of devoted his life in rural Arkansas to helping his community figure out kind of how to be more prosperous and 
get better jobs. I was talking to him about this and he grew up there, he lives there, and he kind of thought of it as an ignorant idea. And he didn't think that it would work in his community and saw it as something that someone in Silicon Valley could see as a good idea, but not someone who was in his shoes. Basic income? Um, yeah. Why? Um, for him, kind of the issues in his community were much were deep. I mean, he grew up in a place where people's grandparents remember slavery mm-hmm. and there's a lot of inherited trauma. And so his idea was that people need a lot more support and it's not just a money thing. He said that if he could create a nonprofit or a support system, he would give everybody a caseworker and help them with every aspect of his life. So like um, the program that he was involved in, for instance, was trying to connect them with jobs in the gig economy. But he found that wasn't enough because they didn't have transportation to get to class and he had to go pick them all up and they their water was getting turned off. So like learning about the gig economy was a secondary concern. So it's not so much that basic income is a problem. It's just that that would not that would not solve anything. It's just that would be a, a, a fraction of a solution. Is that right? Right. Gotcha. Because Matt is an adorable optimist and believes that work is going to end and everybody's going to live happily ever after after the revolution. Right. Um, well, it's, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of basic income, but, you know, I've never heard it talked about in that way of like, there are people in severe poverty who need more than money. They need someone to help them navigate through this crazy world. And once they kind of get their footing, like they literally get water running back on, um, th- only then can they um, make use of a of a government stipend. Right. And, and then there's the issue of financial planning, too. So even if you receive that money, not knowing how to properly allocate it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I think at the, at the most simple level, it's like, here's guaranteed money to pay your rent and buy food. Like, mm-hmm. you're covered. No matter yeah. what you do, if you're the biggest screw up in the world, you still can get food. Like, that's <laughs> that's, that's that's how I understand basic income. And I'm uh-huh. a fan of it, but I, un, I, I do understand the problems inherent in, like, a very deep poverty situation. I like the caseworker thing of like, instead of giving people money, give them a caseworker and mm-hmm. maybe a little money. Yeah. Did you guys know this is a comedy podcast? Did anybody know that? Because <laughs> 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 the book is funny. I tried to make some jokes. <laughs> good, good. We got to pop it back up here with a fun question for the end, which is what are some of the weirdest gigs that you did during your trial period, aside from the flash mob proposal stupidity i dissolved someone's llc um boring yeah i had to figure out how to go through the red tape to just say we're not a company i would pay you for that by the way i don't want to i do not want to deal with that boring shit so here's some money so that was pretty weird another woman had me like sorting through her mail and so i was seeing like all of her personal you know bills and lawsuits that she was in in, and i was like wow it's really good that i'm a nice person who's not trying to steal your identity or anything are you available are you available because i would like to pay you to sort my mail and do all my stupid bullshit shit that i hate doing thank you (laughs) matt since you're a friend i will i will do it for free just let me know when give me a couple of hours to play with your kids mechanical turk (laughs) rates like two cents an hour or whatever they're not all low paid man oh sorry (laughs) She could make like $20 an hour on some tasks because she was so good at doing them efficiently. Nice. I decorated somebody's Christmas party. Oh, that's weird and adorable. And I wrapped somebody's Christmas presents. 
It was around Christmas time. There was a lot of holiday-themed work. <laughs> Wrapping presents is, is super boring and a pain in the ass. I would pay you for that, too. It, this sounds like the life of an actor. Yeah. <laughs> what, just doing all these odd jobs? <laughs> all right, guys. Um, thank you so much, Sarah. And we encourage all of you to check out Gigged. It comes out in June 2018. Is that right, sir? Yep, and you can pre-order it now. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time. Um, thank you. We're off to wrap up this gig. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Bye. Guys, you are listening to 2G1P Podcast Networks. Just kidding. We're not a network. Um, and we're it's time for some shout outs. I don't know why you're talking us down. We could be a network. We are. We're global. We're a global yeah, creative we're, network. Yeah, we're, we are <laughs> an international, I want to say, duo of mystery. Man of mystery just has such a ring to it. Romance of mystery. Ugh. All right. You right now, listener, are listening, that's right, with your ears to a podcast. That was really educational for everyone because I know a lot of you weren't sure what was happening. I also want to let you know that you're probably driving and or sitting on a subway and or in your kitchen or your bed. I don't know. You do you, okay? I have more information, though, to impart with my mouth into your brain. That sounds really <laughs> disgusting, but... We, go on, we go were, on. We were on a podcast. How is it possible? We have a podcast and we were on a podcast. It was. It's called Inbox, and it's awesome. So in each episode of Inbox, what they do is they uh, visit the guest's inbox and look through their emails uh which sounds a little terrifying but actually as you guys probably know from listening to this podcast jen and i perform internet text on stage so we were like okay you don't know who you've invited we have some crazy fucking emails and we are used to reading these things out loud that's right so So you should check um, out our episode it's titled pokemon because we talk about the pokemon dildos do not act surprised by no, that. Uh, there's a lot of dildo talk uh, in this episode. Pokemon with two girls, one podcast. Go check it out on Inbox. And um, if you want to see other people humiliate themselves and open up their inbox, uh, listen to some other episodes. Yeah, it's, I mean, I do think it's a really interesting premise, like because it, it is like your digital diary. Did you die? I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you said see other people, but I'm just going to remind them that you are hearing with your ears. It's yeah, you can't see. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right, check out Inbox, y'all. Well, that was a little insane. That went all sorts of places I didn't expect. Well, the most interesting part to me was probably the part about assigning a caseworker. And I think it kind of hit home how privileged a lot of these conversations are that we have around technology. Of course, me coming from a place of privilege, so I'm going to say a lot of ignorant things, but that like everyone's talking about like the end of work and... um, you know, how technology is making everything bigger and better and more convenient and blah, blah, blah. But, like, a lot of technology is really focusing on first world problems. Yes. Anyway, I mean, the caseworker thing was, like, not something that had ever occurred to me. Right. Uh, because I'm ignorant and privileged. But uh, it's it's also just kind of crazy to me. I feel like I sounded like such a downer during that interview. And thank you, Sarah. I actually think it's all wonderful. And everyone should go check out the book. It brings up a lot of really interesting points. Mm-hmm. But, um... I don't know why I'm so angry about this topic. What's getting in your craw about it? Like, what in particular angers you? I'm a crotchety old lady. That's what it is. No, I don't know. I guess what's so interesting is, like, I feel like the world is moving so fast. I think there's so much truth to a lot of these trend predictions. But then I also just feel like 
it's impossible for us to really know because the world is changing so fast. And we, and when we look 10 years ago, I mean, if we really thought about it in so many ways, so much of what we do is like unrecognizable. It's a little overwhelming yeah. and like it makes it really hard to know how to plan a life or a career, you know, just how to like know what your path is going to be even. Yeah, people all, all the time are like, so what's your like five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? I'm like, I don't have a plan. That's crazy. <laughs> Who has a plan? I don't think I should. Like <laughs> yeah. the, most of the work that you and I do did not exist when we graduated from college. Like right. the, all, all of our work like looks at like tech and the internet or is a digital project. We just filmed a series with Facebook. Like we're podcasting. It's not, yeah. Yeah, we're here on this podcast right now. Like, it didn't exist. So like I don't <laughs> know. Mad. I'm gonna start doing VR porn. Like I don't know. <laughs> Tactile I suit porn. Like, yeah, yeah. I just I just don't think it's even po- I like I think for me to come up with a five to ten year plan would a- actually I really do think be a waste be to of our time detriment. because things yeah. are changing so fast like who knows like maybe I'll have a lot of fun programming the robot takeover and teaching them emotional intelligence but yeah. I have to say most of my friends have normal jobs with benefits yeah so they have that security whereas we will never have yeah, that security yeah but also in terms of the trends where like there's more freelancers than ever I believe it but at the same time, These most jobs people I know exist. still have a real job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, and I agree with you. Um, I don't think just because more freelancers exist than ever before doesn't mean, that doesn't mean the vast majority of people today are freelancers. Yeah, I but do what was, do you guys remember right. the stat she said at the beginning of the interview? That the vast majority of new jobs, we We're talk freelance. about unemployment and how that's, unemployment is, is going down, but it's actually people who are underemployed or, or employed as freelancers. And that's great, but it's different than the security of a full-time paycheck with benefits yes. 40 hours a week. Yeah. But I think you put a bow on it really nicely, uh, both of you, just now, in terms of... All right, um, we're done. See ya. Pri- <laughs> we're done. Uh, pri- privilege and pace, meaning we all had middle-class upbringings and we all live in major cities or we live close to major cities and we have the benefit of education and we can barely keep up with these technological trends and we work in technology. The example that Sarah references from her book is that people in rural Arkansas, Alabama, I can't remember what what she said, they are left behind because their opportunity and their lack of privilege is so deep and generational that if we don't know even know what's up five years ago they are living they do not have any access to anything that we uh, can see or do uh, technologically and that's a huge problem societally oh Why there's a crazy moving? ted talk that i want to yeah. watch have you guys seen it it's um about how like education at some point will be downloaded and so there's going to be like totally. a, there's going to be like a huge gap there in terms of who can afford to get this education downloaded and then therefore is just smarter than everyone else. I don't know. I thought that was like, sounds like a movie premise, but so why do we move ahead life. without thinking about consequences though? And why is it always inherently better if technology is involved? You know me, I'm anti-tech. It's not inherently I, better. I think it's, it's hilarious the, how many movies there are about robots taking over and murdering us all. And here we are now creating the robots. We're just laughing <laughs> like, at them. Yeah, I think it's a fiction, right? <laughs> it's a great philosophical question. And t- technology only goes in one direction. So it's not, I don't think it's anyone, it's not society agreeing like, let's all go here. It just happens because it has to happen. And I, you know, as the optimist, technology does make our lives 
better, uh, quantitatively better. There is less war, there is less famine, people across the whole of human civilization are healthier and live longer because of technology. And I'm not talking about iPhones, I'm talking about modern medicine and things of that sort. So like, yes, we, we are doing better as humans than we ever have before. Wait, but the are cost we doing better is, or is there a larger gap? Because I'm not sure. What, what do you mean a larger gap? Between rich and poor. Well, there there's a huge gap between rich and poor, but if you lived in the Middle Ages, you would be dead at 30, guaranteed. Oh, I'd be so whether you dead already. King. I'm, I've been dead for years. <laughs> yeah, so I'm saying, like, look at the long view. Basic technology like penicillin and uh, transportation and refrigeration, my God, is probably the most important invention we've had since the Internet. Uh, the ability to move food from one place to another. Shout out to Florence Parpart, inventor of the modern day refrigerator, who for some <laughs> reason doesn't have a Wikipedia page because women are underrepresented and minorities on Wikipedia. Continue, Matthew. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Great fact. Mm-hmm. Great Thank fact. Thank you. Uh, assuming it's true. It's your truth. Check it out. I I'm your fact checker. It's true. <laughs> um, so, in my view, and I think there is a lot written about this that I like to look into, it's like uh, we're doing better, but the cost is income inequality. And we're probably a little lonelier or sadder because it was it, it was probably better for our human brain to run around the savanna and uh, hunt and pick berries, even though we were dead at 30. Like, we were probably happier then. I know you're saying but... probably because it's hard to measure that, but I'm going to say definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I don't know about I really that. <laughs> I, I believe that it's, like, muted. It's, like, taste. Like, they didn't, like, apparently, like, food didn't have all the taste that it has now. Like, I think, like, now there's higher highs and higher lows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree. And, w- and then what is happiness? Is like is, is happiness being in the environment that our brains were meant to and evolved to be in for like a brief m- span of time? And like your life is a, te- is a horrible, terrifying 30 years of like, I'm either going to die of a disease or I'm going to be eaten by an animal. But it's really exciting and I'm having fun and I'm dead. Is that the good version? Or is it the good version? Is it today where I'm safe all the time and nothing is going to hurt me and I'm, I'm definitely going to be able to procreate? So I'm definitely going to be able to have a family. Any of those things are true. I don't think I'm definitely safe. I don't think I'm definitely going to be able to procreate. Like, I don't think any of that's true. Statistically, it totally is. Like, you're not at risk of being slaughtered by a rival tribe or a wild animal. You're sitting in a studio right now, very, very safe. Like, you could get hit by a car, but, like, statistically compared to the Middle Ages or caveman times, like, you're way safer. You definitely are. Guys, you got to fact check Matt. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Guys, why don't you tell us what what is happiness? Uh, you can email us to <laughs> gmailpodcast at gmail dot com. Let me let me put it to you another way. Have you did you have a cold or did you get sick? Like you know, in the last year. I'm uh, my yeah. health is good. I'm very lucky. Cool, but I'm saying like, did did you did you feel run down or, or have to get like an antibiotic yeah, from the doctor? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so if you lived in a different time, you'd be dead. Right, right, right. Dead, because right. you would have gotten an infection. Did you and, just do like a Jewish grandma? You'd be dead. <laughs> You're dead. You'd be dead. <laughs> You're dead. And that's what I mean. I, it doesn't apply de- definitely to you or whatever, but it's like statistically, I like, just think you're, you're so optimistic, and, and I love it, and I just, I just gotta bring you down. That's <laughs> always like everything's perfect and happy, and end no, of I'm work. not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying everything's great. Everything is not great. We're facing terrible societal ills and terrible income inequality unless we fix it. But we're still doing better than 99% of our ancestors, whose only concern in the world at any given time was, where's my next meal going to come from? You yeah, know? I, I agree with you. I do. I'm, I'm just devil's advocating this whole episode, but I, 
but no, I, I I get it for sure. I just I guess I I guess I just want to acknowledge that I think in in certain areas things are like shittier than ever for certain for certain groups. Oh, for, for certain sure. people. I agree. Yeah. I, I for sure. Um, for sure. From my from and that's my get worse. from my tall tower, I'd like to acknowledge that. I'm so sad. You're so sad. Uh, Guys, this is, once again, just a reminder, this is a comedy podcast, so thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Please let us know what you think about the future of work. Uh, Actually, I'd also love to know, like, are you a freelancer? What is your job? What do you think about all of these shenanigans? So you can tweet me at Allie Gold. You can tweet me at June Bugger, or you can email us at 2G1Podcast at gmail.com, or you can call us, and that number is... 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6548. All right, well, we'll see you next week, where I hope that we return to porn. JK, this was great, but next week will probably be about porn. It will. I'll be naked. Alright, bye guys. See you guys. The Cruise One Podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula and vigorously pummeled with a wiffle bat. I mean edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance is graciously provided by thepodglomerate.com. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. If you enjoyed this internet audio program, consider supporting it on Patreon. Even $1 to $2 per month helps to offset our blistering cocaine habit. Uh, I mean production costs. Visit patreon.com slash 2G1P to learn more. That's patreon.com slash 2G1P. Great news! You can listen to new episodes of Two Girls, One Podcast one week early. What is this sorcery? Just download the free TuneIn app and fire up Two Two Girls, Girls, One Podcast. To get fresh episodes one week before your loser friends. <laughs> your friends are so lame for being one week behind. I know, right? Wait, what's the catch? There's no catch. Tune in lets you listen to awesome podcasts. Like ours. One week before anywhere else. Absolutely free. Oh, dude. The next episode of this show is probably already there. Yo, this is some freaky time traveling shit. I'm going to listen to next week's show so I can find out what we're going to say. Technology is weird. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.